Lord Jesus, we want to be more like you. We've come and we have remembered the price that you've paid for us. Lord, not just so one day we could be in heaven with you, but because you want to be with us right now in this place. You couldn't wait till heaven. You walk with us now, God. You live with us now. You want deep relationship with us now. So we thank you that you are here in this place, that you delight to speak to your people. And so we just pray that you come. Holy Spirit, may you speak to the hearts of your people, whether through me or in spite of me. May your people know that you are near and may we be different because of it. So come, Lord, I pray, as, as John the Baptist regularly prayed, may I decrease and you increase this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been working our way through our marriage series, Marriage That Makes a Difference. Uh, this is our final week um, dealing with this material. And we said that if we're going to have a marriage that makes a difference in our community, in our families, even a generational difference as our children see a healthy marriage and on and on it goes, there's five foundational areas that we need to grow. Five areas that we need to grow in depth and understanding. And we've been spending the last, this is week number six, looking at these. The first was expectations. Our expectations determine our actions and our reactions in any given situation or relationship. We have to learn to evaluate and communicate our expectations. Is this all sounding a little familiar? Okay. Roles. We have to understand our God-given roles in relationship. This understanding of our roles defines our expectations. This is what either sets us up for, for failure or success is our understanding of how we come together. Conflict. How we handle conflict. Like, I didn't talk about this on that week, but have you ever read John chapter 17? It's called the high priestly prayer where Jesus prays for his disciples because he says, hey, one day, pretty soon, I'm going to be leaving. And so he prays for them. And he says there's this one very specific thing, this one very specific way that people will know that Jesus sent them out. Do you remember what it is? Anybody? That they would have peace with one another, that they would have unity. He prays it a couple different times. And when Jesus repeats something, pay attention. He says the way you handle conflict among yourselves will show people that you are from me. And so we spent time looking at that going, especially in marriage. Now, the goal is not no conflict. The goal is healthy conflict. We're, we're, gonna, we're two sinful people smashed together into a marriage relationship. We're going to have conflict. It's natural. But how we handle it makes all the difference. Two weeks ago, we looked at finances. We have been called to have shared stewardship of kingdom resources. Everything we have belongs to God, and we need to be in lockstep on how God is calling us to steward everything he's given us, time, money, energy, it's a shared stewardship that we've been given in marriage. And today we come to the final week, intimacy. If we're going to have a marriage that makes a difference, we have to take back intimacy. Kids are gone, right, for the most part? I've warned them, and if they're here, it's on them. Okay. Intimacy is code for sex, right? We can just say that. Whenever I would teach on, on sex with teenagers, I would just get all the words out in the beginning, intercourse, and it's the stuff that would make them kind of giggle, and I was like, let's just get it out of our system. We used intimacy in the weeks coming up to this because you couldn't just say sex with all the kids in the room, but intimacy is code for sex, right? So let me ask you this. 
Why is sex such a big deal in the Bible? Like, sometimes you can tell how important something is to somebody either by how much they talk about it or how they talk about the misuse of it. Uh, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He's saying, look, sexual sin has a completely different category of consequences than any other sin. He was trying to make the, the, like, the point come across, like this is a big deal in the kingdom. How we view and handle sex is important because sex has its own category of consequences unlike any other sin. Sex is a big deal, but why? Why is sex such a big deal in the Bible? We don't know. No one knows. I'm proud of you. You said a big word. Thank you. There's this, this joining together, this two becoming one in sex. It represents something much larger. Larger. It represents God's love towards his people, which I've never put myself like in the shoes of a woman, but like you guys sometimes talk about like, we're dating, I'm dating Jesus and oh, lover of my soul. As guys, it gets weird quickly. You know what I mean? And we're like, yeah, sex represents God's love for you. And we're like, mm, does it though? <laughs> like it's... <laughs> I'm not really comfortable with that because he's a dude and I'm a dude, you know? Like, so it absolutely does. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at that here in a little bit. But some of this kind of just shows like how we probably have a misunderstanding of sex because you see in the scriptures that, that sex represents God's love towards us. And if there's something in you, like there's something to me that goes, maybe let's use a different metaphor, you know? Like I probably don't have the healthiest understanding of sex. Why is sex such a big deal? In the Bible, other thoughts? There's kind of no other way people get born. It has this potential to create life. This most incredible gift, this miracle that happens, and there's only like one way it happens. Even when science gets in, all they're doing is replacing some of the moving parts, but it's still the same. Other thoughts? It's linked very close to love, especially in this, in a marriage relationship, the, the closest, most loving relationship we can think of. And the number one command, love the Lord your God, love your neighbors yourself. Like love is everything. And sex is so closely associated with love. Okay. Any other thoughts? Yeah. 
So there's this, this knowing on a deeper level than anyone else knows. There's this, this seeing things about you that no one else sees, knowing you in a way that no one else knows you. Okay? This idea of two becoming one is something that I don't think, I certainly don't think we fully understand. I don't know that we actually can this side of heaven, but we find it repeated multiple times. Jesus in Mark chapter 10, he, he actually quotes Genesis chapter 2. From the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Sex has this ability to unite us at this deep level that we can't even really fully understand. When God looks at my wife and I, he no longer sees two distinct people. We are somehow this new thing, one forever joined in his sight. Two becoming one. And, and Jesus puts a warning on there. They're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That word separate means like to, to tear asunder, to leave a gaping void in. Sex binds us together like nothing else, which means that the abuse or the misuse of sex wounds us like nothing else. So let me ask you this question. Let's get the other side of the coin. What's the world's message about sex? It's no big deal. It's, no big deal. it's just sex. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, it's just kind of a physical thing. You know, like, what else? You won't get pregnant. Okay. It's my right. It's my body and it's my right. Whoever I want, whenever I want. And like this isn't often said, but, and it should be consequence free. Because it's, it's just a physical act, right? What else? The world's message about sex. We're bombarded with it every day. Commercials and... The gospel of pornography, if you didn't catch that. Like, I'm going to let that settle in for a minute. But the world's view of sex, the false, yeah, in case you didn't catch it there, the false gospel of pornography. The world's view about sex is it's a selfish act. It's about you getting what you need. Honestly, the world's view on sex is they wouldn't say this so clearly, but it's use other people to get what you want. Now, if you go around telling people you're using other people, we go, oh, for shame. But that's ultimately what it is. These people are here for you, for you to please yourself, for you to get what you want. Anything else? What's the world's message about sex? There's no rules. Okay. It's whatever you want it to be. There's no rules. You're in charge. They, they would say sex is personal in terms of you get to choose what's right for you. But they would also say sex is impersonal because it's just sex. Who ca you just met him five minutes ago. Who cares? Like, Nobody gets hurt. No one gets hurt because it's just sex. Yeah, I mean, ha have as many partners as you want. Do whatever you want. No one gets hurt. It it's just kind of that normal thing. And Christians are prudes. Like, we don't understand 
We think there's a deeper connection, but it's just sex. No one gets hurt. It's detached from a whole lot of things, but creating new life is one of those where we go, no, 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 they're two separate issues. It's my body. It's my, like, and again, I've said this a couple of times during the series, I understand what it looks like for someone up here that looks like me to talk about, like, issues of how a woman views her personal body. Like, I get that, but it's because it's been so detached from its original meaning. It's been so detached even from the act of sex that we begin to view them as two separate things. I should be able to have sex whenever, wherever, with whoever. And these natural consequences that come from it, I should also be, to be able to decide myself how to handle those, what to do with those. Anything else? Sure. Sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll deal with this a little bit later, but there's the, the church for a long time has had this teaching where sex is always kind of this bad thing, and, and maybe even in, even in the context of marriage, it's something you kind of have to put up with, but it's just to kind of create kids, and it's still kind of this dirty, secretive thing. A lot of damage has been done through even messaging of the church. I'll say well-intentioned, because I don't know... 20 years ago, 30 years ago, what was going on in the church, but like, there's been a lot of damage even from the way that the church talks about it, oftentimes apart from what the scripture says. We, we've added a lot to what the scripture says when it comes to sex, which can be really dangerous. Other thoughts? Yeah, sex sells, baby. Like, I mean, in ridiculous ways. If you really like kind of watch commercials critically, sometimes you go, what does this have to do with that? She's selling toothpaste. Why is she dressed like that? Like, makes zero sense in the world, but they know it gets your attention and it sells. Sorry. It's only sex, it's just sex, like don't worry about it. But at the same time, always have it in your brain. You better look sexy and you better, like, you gotta act that way. It's, it's both nothing and the only thing at the same time. I, I said, when looking at the scripture, you can tell a lot about how someone or a culture feels about something by the way they handle its misuse. Sex is nothing, it's no big deal. If rape comes up in a conversation, and I don't use that word lightly, I hate even having to use it, something instinctively in us, no matter where you are in culture goes, that is horrible. That is one of the worst things that can happen to someone, that one person can do to another person. It's the exact same act, it's just sex. But as soon as it gets forced on someone, whoa. And listen, we in the church would agree, we would be appalled like it's terrible 
but it's because we believe that sex is so powerful when handled correctly or, and adversely when handled incorrectly. Yeah. And so even the world has mixed messaging about it. Doesn't really know what to do with sex. Tries to make it just loosey-goosey and free and yeah, whatever. But at the same time, whoa, don't ever use someone in that way. And again, I'm not trying to lighten it and go, come on, world, you should be fine with abuse. And like, no, that's where I think they instinctively get it right and go, something serious just happened here. Because sex is such an intimate thing. The world in, in many things is very confused. <laughs> the problem is if we're not careful, if we don't think critically, we get confused right along with them. Janetta? Yeah, be, again, because of that, the binding nature to becoming one that sex has, the misuse or abuse of it creates lifelong wounds that the world says, oh, everyone's, essentially everyone's dealing with, you're fine. But we see that like, man, we're still dealing with things because of that relationship I had back then. Why can't I just get over it? Why? It takes a lot of work to get through these things because of the uniting nature of sex. So I said earlier, intimacy is just code for sex. I was lying. I was tricking you guys. We use it that way sometimes because most of us can't look someone else in the eye and say the word intercourse or whatever. And so we just say intimate, you know, it's, it's an easier way to deal with things. But to think that intimacy only means sex is a misrepresentation, a misunderstanding. Intimacy, th this is my definition of it. Intimacy is knowing and being known. To know and to be known, and as Cheryl said, we'll look at here a little bit, like sexual intimacy has that identity in it of like someone sees me like no one else will see me. Someone knows me in a way like no one else will know me. It absolutely has that to it, but that's not the only piece of intimacy. Sex is, and listen real quick, when I talk about sex or physical intimacy, I'm gonna try to distinguish between them because in physical intimacy, it's more than just sexual intercourse. It can be the holding of a hand, rubbing on the back, a hug to, to celebrate or to grieve, sitting closer to each other on the couch. Like, so when I talk about physical intimacy, don't just replace it with sex. I'll try to be clear which one I'm talking about because I also don't want to put all that pressure on it if it's the only way to be like physically close. It's not. <laughs> that was funny. That was well-timed. But sex is opening yourself up to someone to be known in the most vulnerable way. 
But let's take a look real quick at the other types of intimacy that we can have in relationship. There's relational intimacy. I, I know this person better than anyone else. This person knows me, like who I am on a deep level. And listen, and I'm accepted. We have this relational intimacy that I don't share with anyone else. They know things about me that no one else knows. And the ideal, what we're moving towards, and I don't have to be ashamed in front of them. None of us is perfect. None of us handles everything perfect, but that's what we're moving towards is I know this person and I am known by this person on a level that no one else knows me. I am accepted like no one else. There's, there's intellectual intimacy. We understand each other better and better as we go. We begin to share interests Things that I wasn't interested in before, she's interested in, and suddenly, simply because she's there, I'm like, hey, I want to know some more about that. And we begin to share, uh, have interests in common. We begin to think alike. Kim, we even finish each other's sandwiches. I was going to say sandwiches no matter what you said, so well done. Sometimes that means bringing your intellect down to where the other person is. Sometimes you got to work a little harder and read a book. Relational intimacy, intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy. We can talk about how we really feel. I can let my guard down. I can be sad with you. I can be happy with you. I can just sit with you and not know how I'm feeling, and that's okay. We can connect on a deeper level than just words. This emotional intimacy that as I'm saying this, every woman is kind of looking at her husband like, are you paying attention? <laughs> and every guy is going, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> Be patient with us. We're working on it. Again, none of us is perfect, but growing in emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. We hold the same sacred values. Worship prayer are better because you're taking part in it. In this spiritual intimacy, I actually connect with the Lord better because you're in this with me. And it's this beautiful thing where the two become one. There's something more powerful that happens in my spiritual life because you're a part of it than if I was just doing it alone. There's this spiritual intimacy. We connect over the things of the Lord. And then finally, physical intimacy. Again, physical intimacy, not just sex, but all of these ways that we are physically close to one another. But especially with sex, sex is the culmination of all of these other intimacies. The, the natural culmination. The more I get to know you, and I'm, I keep looking right here, I'm not gonna make eye contact with, contact with you guys when I talk about sex like this. The more I get to know my wife, the more we begin to share interests, the more we begin to connect on a deep emotional level, the more we connect even over things with the Lord, the more we naturally move toward a physical intimacy as well that culminates in sex. It is the natural move for all of these things. This, honestly, this is why for dating, some people it's so hard because the more I get to know her, the more we naturally move closer to each other. 
the, the more we start to share interests and man, now she, is she more beautiful than she was before? Like, I don't know what changed, but like the more we make connection on these other levels of in intimacy, the more it naturally moves towards sex. It, it's just, it's the way that we were created. And it's why it's so dangerous. I mean, you hear now about like emotional affairs and those kinds of things. And it's like, no one ever touched anyone. What's the problem? As we begin to share intimacy with other people in these areas, it naturally leads towards something physical. Now listen, I'm not saying every time you're just a slave to it, you have no choice, but that's the natural leading of it. Because God created us, when we begin to know one another on these deeper levels, sex was his design. Sex is not some dirty thing that God kind of like puts up with if he has to. He created it. And he said, a man and a woman, when they get into this relationship and there is this commitment and this safety and they grow in these intimacies, his design was that we move towards sex with one another. This way to express this connection in a way that words just don't cut it. In a way that just sitting and staring into each other's eyes just don't cut it. He, he designed us to move towards sex as we grow in these other areas of intimacy. But the world has tried to offer a shortcut through pornography. Physical connection without having to worry about any of these other forms of intimacy. It used to just be really men dealt with pornography and women put up with knowing it existed. The numbers are now growing almost equally as far as women involved in pornography and men. And it's this easy connection. I can get what I need physically and I don't have to work on any of these other areas of intimacy. I don't have to make anyone else happy. I don't have to worry about what are their needs and how do I connect with them. I can just skip to the physical part. What a beautiful shortcut, right? The world says that it's quick and it's easy. And listen, it's free from rejection. I don't even really have to put myself out there. Whoever's on the other end of that screen or whatever it might be, they're never going to tell you no. And there's something in us that goes, oh, it's safer. It's free from rejection. I can get what I need and not have to worry about actually being vulnerable. The world would say, you have an appetite and here's a quick way to feed it without all of the other strings attached. And it tries to take sex out of context and just make it an appetite that needs to be fed. You never really have to put yourself out there. All the intimacy with none of the vulnerability. But it's a lie. And we know that it's a lie. If you've ever taken part in it, you know that it's a lie. The shame that comes afterwards. The, the I hope no one ever finds out. We actually feel like less of a person after that interaction rather than more of a person. In the way that world handles sex, especially with pornography, there's this taking from, not adding to. Sex was meant to be this culmination of these intimacies. And as we come together and we express this connection in this incredibly deep and vulnerable way, we're actually adding to the other person. But in the world's view, with pornography, with casual sex, whatever it might look like, there's this taking from. Someone took what they needed from me. I took what I needed from someone else. And I'm actually less of a person afterwards. That's, that's the feeling. I'm not saying you're like, you're now irredeemable and you're not even human. Like, please don't hear that. 
But the shame that comes is because I know, I think I know, I'm, I'm less lovable now. I'm less worthy of connecting with, and I'm less, and this downward spiral begins to go. And if you've ever got caught in that spiral, you know how empty it is. The world says, hey, it's just an appetite. If you want it, go get it, feed it. But by doing so, we become more hollow and hollow and hollow because it's not what sex was intended for. Sex was not just some appetite we have and, oh good, you can help me meet it. It was meant to be this culmination of intimacy. Because we're growing in all of these other areas, coming together in sex now adds to one another, not takes away. Is this making sense, church? Real intimacy always involves vulnerability. Always. I, I think back to Genesis, and it says that God created Adam and Eve, and they came together. They were naked and unashamed. That wasn't an accident that he put that in there. They were as vulnerable as could be with one another, and they were safe. And this is God's idea. Real intimacy always involves vulnerability. In order for you to really know me in any of those areas of intimacy, I have to let you in where you can potentially hurt me. And listen, that's a scary thing. But that's what intimacy is. That's what knowing me really is, is I have to let you see the real me so that you can know the real me and hopefully accept the real me. But it's a vulnerable place. There is nothing more dangerous than sex outside of God's intended context. Letting someone in at such a deep level without the relationship or the commitment to sustain it. It is so dangerous. Connect with me on the deepest level and then potentially walk out the door. That is a dangerous thing. Culture says that sex in any forms is just about instant gratification. It feels good, do it. You want it, go get it. God says that sex is about trust and intimacy. Now listen, the way it feels is just an awesome side effect. That just proves that God is a good God. Food tastes good, sex feels good. Didn't have to, but he, he loves us. But ultimately, it's about trust and intimacy. Sex is meant to be, as someone mentioned before, this ultimate representation of our relationship with Jesus. Not on a physical level. Again, as a dude, you go, ah. I don't want to think about kissing a guy. Like, what? Like, it's, it can become a weird thing. Not onto this, but, but going to have this relationship where nothing is hidden. Where I can stand naked before God and not be ashamed. Because I am known. I am fully known. And I am fully accepted. That's the representation. That I have nothing to hide and no need to hide because I am known and loved fully. Many in here have been hurt by sex outside of God's designed context. The commitment of a loving marriage between a husband and a wife. There has been abuse or trauma in some of our lives. And I, I, have, I have prayed a lot coming into this message because I never want to cause pain to anyone. I know that many have been hurt by sex, and so I don't want to say something flippantly 
that triggers a wound that you have. I, I recognize that there is abuse and trauma in our body right here today. That, that someone knew you in a way that you didn't give them permission. Maybe it was forced or coerced or manipulated. And those wounds remain today. Some of you have, have wounds from past relationships. We, we dove into intimacy and we trusted too early. We trusted someone that wasn't trustworthy. And we were hurt, again, in, in a very deep way because sex by nature is something incredibly intimate. We were vulnerable and trusting with someone that wasn't trustworthy. Maybe we weren't trustworthy. And those wounds still remain today. Some have been hurt by a spouse that sought easier intimacy somewhere else. Through pornography, through a coworker, through whatever it may have been, they looked somewhere else for intimacy. And some of us in here still bear the wounds today because of that. I just want to stop and recognize it again. I'm not just going, hey guys, sex is awesome. Let's, let's go. We've got your kids for another half hour. Figure it out. Like That is not... I understand that sex is a complex issue in many of our lives and relationships because of past wounds and trauma. Nothing wounds us like the misuse of sex. That is why the scriptures hold it in such high regard and have such strong warnings is because nothing wounds like the misuse of sex. Culture says that sex is about feeding and appetite. God says that sex is about knowing and being known fully. And that can only truly happen in the context of marriage. In this lifelong commitment to one another, the things that, that those of us who are married, that we stood up in front of friends and family and we vowed better or worse, sick, healthy, rich, poor, I'm in this no matter what. Without that kind of commitment, Sex is incredibly dangerous. So I want to give you some thoughts to keep in mind about sex. And these are not like, hey, if you just get these four things down, like instantly awesome sex life. What these are is, I hope, tools for conversation between you and your spouse. The way that we have a better sex life is we talk about it. And if you're in here and you're going, ugh, you don't understand talking about sex, it's a fun thing. Like, this should be something that we all go, awesome. Like, how could you hold the kids for a little while so we can have a conversation? Like, I want to give some tools for healthy conversations about sex. So first, sex is a thermometer. Makes sense, right? You guys get that? No. No. You can tell the heat of a marriage by the frequency of sex. Again, Sex is that culmination of other intimacies that naturally happens. We feel intimate with each other intellectually, emotionally. Sex is a natural culmination that things move towards. You can tell a lot about the heat of a marriage, the health and the passion of a marriage by the frequency of sex. And again, I want to stop and say I understand. Wounds and trauma caused by the misuse of sex add a layer of complexity but it's typically because I've been hurt in these other areas, and so it's not just sex is bad. I now don't know how to relate to someone emotionally. Because of these past wounds and trauma, I feel like I'm not worth connecting with. Or, or other people aren't safe to let in. 
And so we have issues in these other areas of intimacy, and that naturally leads towards a lack of sex. And so sex is that thermometer not to go like, okay, we're doing it the perfect amount, but it lets us know, hey, if sex is not happening that often, that frequently, that is there, is there some other area where we're not connecting? Because sex should be a pretty natural thing. And we're going to get to appetites and frequency and all of that kind of stuff. But if things don't naturally move that direction, what, where other area are we missing in? What other area are we missing intimacy in? Let's just be real. Oftentimes, I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. Oftentimes, women struggle in sex because they feel like they can't emotionally connect with their husbands. Because husbands have two emotions, okay and angry. That's where we start. That's our starting point. Again, be patient with us. But husbands, you probably don't have a sex problem. You potentially have an emotional intimacy problem. It's not just, how do I talk someone into it more? Men are much simpler. We like sex. The other intimacy stuff we're going to talk here in a minute can come from a healthy sex life. Often, again, I'm painting with a broad brush here with men and women. Not every woman fits in this category. Not every man does. Please understand. I, I, I know that. Men tend to, when we feel physically intimate, we grow in our other areas of intimacy. Women tend to come from the other way. When I feel intimate emotionally, intellectually, we grow in our physical intimacy. And so just even understanding that, but, but sex can be that thermometer to go, okay, wait, is there something else that's not quite right? Is there some other area where we're not able to connect and we need to have some conversations about? We need to focus on these other areas. Sex is kind of the natural outcome of growing in these other intimacies. Does that make sense? Do you guys understand that? I've never heard it said in counseling people and talking with people, we rarely have sex, but everything else is great. I've never had that conversation with anyone. When everything else is great, sex is good. It's just the way that it naturally works. But too often, wounds and trauma have hurt my ability to have relational intimacy. And if I can't relate in that way, I can't even think about having sex, about being that vulnerable if I can't be vulnerable over here. Often, I mean, again, something I hear, I feel like my spouse is only interested in knowing me physically. I feel like they're only interested in the sex part, but they don't really want to know me in these other ways. Something is broken there. And the goal is not, well, then have more sex. How do we connect in some of these other areas? No one wants to feel used when it comes to sex. No one wants to feel used in any way. But we can't skip over these other areas of intimacy. Sex is a, a thermometer, and it can help us get a read on are there some other areas where we're disconnected. Does this make sense? Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna skip some of this. Th this one is just, without connection in other areas, the intimacy of sex, with our spouse almost feels like porn. This is something that I've heard, again, painting with a broad brush, but I've heard more from women than I have from men. 
he's going, hey, we, we're not having sex. And she's going, every time we do, I just feel like I'm being used because he doesn't care to know me in these other areas. And listen, it can work the other way around as well. I'm not trying to say purely male-female issues, but trying to skip straight to sex without investing in these other areas of intimacy, ends up, one person always ends up feeling used, and it doesn't go well. So sex is a thermometer. Number two, sex is a thermostat. The thermometer helps you read the temperature. The thermostat helps you set the temperature. And sex has the power to do both. Physical intimacy isn't just about waiting until we feel perfectly connected in every other area. Oftentimes, physical intimacy is a choice that moves us toward connection in some of these areas. Sometimes we don't, just have, we don't yet have the tools we need to connect well in some of these other areas. I remember having that conversation with Kim where she told me, you have two emotions, okay and angry. I was aware of it, but I still had no idea how to fix it. I think I've added a third emotion, which is kind of happy, you know? And it's been about 10 years since we had that conversation. I'm moving in that way, but I'm so thankful she didn't go, until you have the full range, we can't connect in that way, and I'm pulling back. We, as we began to talk about it, and she saw that my heart was to connect, even though I didn't have the tools yet, there was this drawing together. She wasn't waiting until I was perfect, but she was going here. This actually has the potential to open up some doors in that area. Sex allows us to connect in the most intimate way, and that often opens doors to other kinds of intimacy. We've all heard about pillow talk before, where you know, he, he tells me the, the deepest things when we're in bed together, and he, some of us, not just men, but some of us, when we feel physically intimate, it opens the doors where now I can be safe and vulnerable in some of these other ways as well. Sex can help turn up the temperature in our relationship, not waiting for everything to be perfect and it just feels natural every time, but sometimes it's a choice that we make because intimacy is our goal. And so I'm going to trust you in this way. I'm gonna be vulnerable with you in this way because I know we're moving toward intimacy in all the areas. Is this making sense? This can be a little confusing because I said it, it both is and it's not at the same time. And there's a tension to hold between the two of these. Too often sex has been modeled as a weapon. Like we either withholding sex as a means of manipulation. If you do what I want, you get sex. If you don't, you don't. That's, that's an incredibly dangerous way to use sex. That, that, that is hurting your relationship if you find yourself there. Instead, sex is meant to be this courageous vulnerability with another imperfect person. We're, we're going to hurt each other. We're going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. But it's that act of going, I still want to be known by you and I want to know you deeply even though we don't have everything else figured out just yet. Sex has been misused, and for many of us, what we've done is we've just said, okay, then I'm just gonna put that tool down. We just don't have sex anymore because sex has hurt me before, I've seen sex hurt other people, whatever, so we're just not gonna do that anymore. 
There, there's an old saying, the, the proper response to misuse isn't disuse, it's proper use. Sex has been wielded to hurt people in the past, so the correct answer isn't that we just don't touch that anymore. It's, it's been misused, what is its proper use? How do we use sex to connect in a healthy way? Again, to build into each other, not to take from one another. Some of us have just put it on the shelf and gone, I'm not touching it anymore. Too painful, too, too messy. The proper response to misuse isn't disuse, it's proper use. So let me ask you this question. How much sex is too little? It's a thermometer, it's a thermostat. We're trying to find that like healthy range in the middle. We don't want to do it too little. We don't. How much sex is too little? All of you men are scared to speak right now. I understand. Your question's coming next. It's okay. No. Once a year? Is that too little? Is that? Thank you. Yes. If sex is simply a birthday present, man. <laughs> Once a year is too little. Once a month. Okay. Rec yeah. So there's a, what she's talking about is intentionally denying. I know that there's this need. I know where my spouse is and I'm just choosing to shut it down and say no, that's too little. Like that's, you're, when I'm not willing to, to meet the other person, like you're, that's a misuse of sex. So is once a month too little? I'm trying to get some like, some hard numbers on this so that we can kind of aim for a range. We're, we'll talk then more about what that means, but is once a month, is that okay? So let's, let's take a perfect, everything, everyone's healthy. You know what I mean? Like, and I get it, because these seasons happen. But let me tell you, if this was a room full of men, and they didn't have their spouse sitting next to them, and they weren't worried about hurting feelings, and I said, is once a month enough, not a single man in here would say, oh, that'd be awesome. Now, here's the thing. If you're getting it once a year, you're going, once a month? What? I, I understand. What about once a week? Quiet single guy. That's that thermostat piece of it, like, right. And, and just, you know, that's sure. Yeah, I'm not trying to say, like, we're going to get to the point where we go, okay, every two and a half days. Like, no, 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 no. But we're also assuming everyone's coming from a healthy view of sex and has a healthy understanding of what their spouse needs and what their spouse doesn't need. Let's be honest. Sometimes I have no idea what she needs. 
I'm, I'm making it up as I go. And for someone to come and go, hey, look, here's, here's a range to at least keep in mind. You know what I mean? Because there is a physical aspect to sex. And there's a reason why in the scriptures, in Proverbs, it says, don't awaken love before it's time. Because when you awaken this physical love, it doesn't go back to sleep. You know what I mean? And there's a danger in that if it gets awoken when you're a teenager, when you're just dating, and all of a sudden, like, it can be very dangerous. But also, not just because you're married doesn't mean that it went back to sleep. Like, so let me ask this question. How much sex is too much sex? Quiet single guy. Sure. Sure. If one person is being used to meet the needs of the other person, the, the appetite of the other person, manipulation, coercion, these, these kinds of things, 100%. Here, here's, here's the thing. I, I really am not trying to get to it. It should be X number of days and whatever else. There are certain seasons where it could be every day, and no one's going, man, too much. Like, we're just at that spot. Or there's going to be certain seasons with sickness, with stress and a job change and whatever else. Like, yeah. But, but here's what I will say, that sex should be frequent and regular. Now, what that means to you and your spouse, you figure out. Again, I'm trying to give you some conversation points but if one of you is saying it's infrequent and irregular, there's an issue. One of you may be saying it's too frequent and too regular. Like, that's okay. Have that conversation. But what we're aiming for is with where you are in your season of life, with your, like, this is a weird thing, to, with your sex drives and all of that. Like, I don't enjoy standing up here saying these words either. But figuring out where are we and what does frequent and regular look like? If it's something that only happens when the stars align, problem. What does frequent and regular look like for us? You're probably going to start at two different things and go, okay, how do we begin to move toward each other? Because listen, there's a difference between me taking what I need from my wife and my wife giving me what I need. Those are two very different interactions but one is gonna be moving toward, one is gonna be moving away. There's gonna be times when I have this desire and she's just beat, and the most loving thing I can do is go, I'm good, let's wait. So it's not about having more, having less, it's about coming together in this and going for us, what is frequent and regular. And talking about it tends to lead to more coming together, if you know what I'm saying. It does. Sex is a thermometer. Sex is a thermostat. Here's the one that no one prepared you for, probably before you got married. Sex is work. It is. And I'm not talking about the physical aspect of things, though it's a great way to fit a workout into a week. Done. Moving on. But sex is work. For me, where I came from, maybe, maybe you're on my end of the spectrum, I grew up non-churched and oversexed. I, I grew up with purely the world's view of sex. 
there was no what does God think, what proper context it was. If you want it, get it. So I have had to do a lot of work and still continue to do a lot of work to heal old wounds, to be vulnerable in intimacy, to, to change the lens through which I view sex from getting what I need to coming together and sharing something beautiful. There, there's, I've been hurt emotionally and it's, it's dealing with those emotional wounds so that I can be vulnerable with my wife and she can know me in a deeper way so that I can have a fuller range of emotions and it's safe to do. I have had to do a lot of work to heal old wounds tied to sex, related to sex. For Kim, she came from the other end of the spectrum and maybe some of you did, this was mentioned a little bit earlier. She was over-churched and under-sex educated. There, there was this thing called purity culture in the 90s. And it was this whole move, like the church, I, I want to commend the church at the time because they were actually trying to talk about sex. The world was like loose-lipped with it. They were talking about it everywhere, anywhere. And the church had been silent for so long that they were finally going, hey, we got to step up and deal with this sex thing. We've got so many kids that are just seeing it every day. We have to start to talk to our kids about sex. And so this thing called purity culture was created. And it didn't get everything wrong, but there was a few things. They had, they had this basic message that said sex is bad until you get married, which we would all agree sex is meant for inside of a marriage relationship, right? But here was the, the twist that came on the end of it that maybe was never communicated, but a lot of people picked up on this message. Sex is bad until you get married. Then sex is easy and great because you waited. You did your part and you waited to have sex until marriage. Now it should all come naturally and be fantastic. Because God, almost God owes you great sex because you waited. And many people got into marriage a month in, six months in, a year in and went, hold up. I waited for this? This is still so much work. God lied to me, God, and, and all of this blowback started coming from it, and people were, were wounded by it. Again, not because the church set out to wound them, but it wasn't the whole message. Sex is incredibly dangerous outside of marriage, and when you come together, it's beautiful, but it's still a whole lot of work. We have to navigate, like we were talking about, the different appetites and the needs, the, the different seasons of life. Part of that work is talking about sex, and I'm not joking when I tell you they can and should be fun conversations. Sometimes there's going to be some difficult stuff where we have to go, hey, we need to talk about sex because, like, I need it more often than where we currently are. And th that can be an awkward thing because we never want to hurt each other or whatever, but just staying silent and kind of suffering silently or, oh, my goodness, the demands are too much. You need too much for me more than I can give. To stay silent there really hurts. We need to be talking about it. In our current phase of life, in our current season, what's healthy for us? What should our expectations be? Because if those are missing, someone's getting hurt. We have to overcome the hurts in your relationship and allowing yourselves to be vulnerable again. This is deep work. Here's one that kind of addresses some of those seasons. Sometimes it's work to keep up desire during certain seasons. When you are parenting young kids, 
when, when, when there is a job change, when there is a move and stress is in there, sometimes even desiring to be intimate with the other person is a real struggle. Something that no one set me up for coming into marriage, and I wish someone would have had this conversation with me, of going, look at your wife now. Isn't she beautiful? She's going to look very different in 20 years. And guess what? So are you. When we got married, that was 40 pounds ago, and there was a lot more on top. I wish someone would have sat down with her and gone, see this? Don't get used to it. This is going away. I wasn't that good to begin with. Like it's... But there is a lot of changes that happen in a marriage. Pregnancy body, post-pregnancy body, second pregnancy body, like all of these things happen. Like, hey, 20s, 30s, 40s, it all looks different. But sometimes we have, and, and oftentimes it's because of pornography and, and buying into the world's image, we have this is what beauty is. And let's just be honest, the older any of us get, the further away from the world's definition of beauty we get, right? And if we're not careful, we keep ascribing the world's definition of beauty and going, wait, this isn't matching. And our desire levels can start to drop. Not just, hey, as we go through different phases of life, hormones change, all that naturally happens, but sometimes it's because she doesn't look like she did before. He doesn't look like he did before. A really powerful prayer that I started praying early, early on in our marriage, and I'm so grateful that I did, it comes from Proverbs chapter five. It says, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water into public squares, you get what water is, right? It's a euphemism. You don't get it, okay. So water is your sexual desire in this, and it's saying like, look, it shouldn't just be out there for everybody but drink from your own sister, and he's talking about your marriage. That's where your desire should be funneled and headed and contained. I never thought I'd have to explain poetry to people. I don't even get it. They should be for you alone and not to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful fawn. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Very early on, I, I don't know why I got hip to it, but I'm, I praise the Lord I did. I started praying, Lord, may I always be in love with the wife of my youth. Not like her body when she was a youth, but that woman that I, had, I pledged myself to when we were young. May I always be in love with her, lost in her love forever. May her breast always satisfy me. Whatever physical changes happen, whatever, may I be so captivated by her beauty that I can't get away from it. And listen, the Lord has been faithful to the point where if you ask me now what beautiful looks like, I'll just describe my wife in her current state. Not because it's the right answer, though it is the right answer, but because my definition for beauty has changed as my wife has changed. And I hope Kim would tell you her definition for, for handsome and masculine is now balding with a little bit of a belly. Not because she forces herself into it every day, but because we've gone, Lord, would you just continue to renew my desire for that woman, for that man? And he's faithful. He loves to answer this prayer. Would you continue to give me desire for her? Physically, relationally, emotionally, may I always desire to know her more and be known by her more. 
He will answer that prayer. But it's work. It doesn't always just happen naturally. We have to come to him and go, my thoughts are starting to stray. My desires are like, Lord, would you set those in me again? May I always be captivated by the wife of my youth. May her breast always satisfy me. Ladies, whatever that translates into you, may his biceps always, I don't know. I don't know why you guys are into men at all. I'm super grateful that you are, but we are weird looking. Like, so I don't know how it translates over. That was in my, no, it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, because I could go further. Dudes are weird, but I'm so grateful. So sex is work. Finally, the last one. Sex is worth fighting for. And it is a fight. The world tells you it should be easy. It's an appetite. Like, but those of you in marriage know there's times you got to fight for it. Knowing and being known in the deepest level. Not just skipping to the sex part, but knowing each other, being intimate in these other areas that culminates in sex is worth the fight. It is the deepest expression of vulnerability and trust that we have to offer another human being. So I go back to Genesis chapter 2, before the fall, when God describes this marriage relationship. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and the wife were naked, and yet they felt no shame. This is a beautiful picture of what we should be aiming for, that I can be known and fully known, naked in every area of my life with this one person, and feel no shame. Not because I'm perfect, but because her desire is to know me and to accept me, and mine is the same for her. If this is the desire that we have for each other in relationship, you will have more sex. Now again, where that range is, completely up to you guys. But we have to fight for it. And it is worth fighting for. To know and to be known in this way by another human being is worth fighting for. Growing together in this way is worth fighting for. So let me pray, and then I'm just going to dismiss us because we've got our youth over in the other building and our other kids. Lord Jesus... Again, this is not just about some physical act. This is about the desire that you have placed in us to be vulnerable and accepted, to be known on the deepest level. Lord, if there are areas where we have put up walls and guards, may you point those out to us. If there are areas where we are keeping our spouse at arm's length, God, may you clue us in. May we be able to have good and healthy conversation about sex. Whether it's gauging the rest of our relationship you know, through it, whether it's moving toward connecting in that way more, wherever we find ourselves, may we continue to move forward together with a desire to know and to be known on a deeper level. So come, Lord Jesus, I pray. May we be lost in the love of our, our spouse from our youth, 
may our desire always be to know them more and to move deeper in. Come and do what only you can do, Lord, in our marriages, in our families, in our personal lives. May we drop the walls and may we allow ourselves to be vulnerable with the one that we've pledged ourselves to. In Jesus' name, amen.